0: We're in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation, the first four verses. And then I looked and saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion with 144,000 who had His name and the name of the Father on their forehead. And I heard a loud sound from heaven like the rush of many waters or the peal of thunder. And I heard the song of harpists playing their harps, and it was a new song uh, that no one could sing but only the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women. They remained virgins. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and they were purchased from the earth as a first fruits offered to God and the Lamb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Some years ago, Christian author John Eldridge raised this question. When you think of the Christian life, which movie does it more uh, accurately uh, represent? Is it the Christmas classic uh, it's a Wonderful Life with, Jim, with Jimmy Stewart? Or does the Christian life more seem like the first ten minutes of Saving Private Ryan? Well, Eldridge's conclusion was that looked at accurately, the Christian life looks like the first ten minutes of Saving Private Ryan as they, they storm uh, Omaha Beach at D-Day, and there is much a pain and battle and destruction. Now, whether you agree with that assessment or not, I think it's an accurate way to picture Revelation. When Revelation talks with the Christians who live um, in Asia Minor and talks to them about what's going on in life, it's a lot less, this is, uh, you know, it's a wonderful life, and it's a lot more about the fact that there is a war on. But in the middle of this war, in the middle of the scenes of destruction that are found in Revelation uh, comes this interlude, in a sense, of Revelation 14. There's a vision. John said, I looked up, and it's all standing on Mount Zion, the Lamb, with 144,000. Now, the 144,000 has been and continues to be open to interpretation in our day. And there's a whole number of interpretations for uh, 144,000. Some link it to the 144,000 in Revelation 7. Some see it uh, as different. But what it has given rise to is through the years, there has been more than one religious group who postulated that this means that there are only 144,000 people in heaven and uh that it's a picture of that number and so it's limited and whatever grounds they agree on by um uh, that uh, um, by those grounds only 144,000 make the cut but the fact of the matter is 144,000 like other numbers and pictures in revelation is is symbolic And the symbolism, rather than says this is a limited limited defined number, 144,000 actually is a number that opens things wide open. And we can see how this is if we break it down. You get 144 by 12 times 12. And so symbolically, one of the ways to think of it is 12 is the number of tribes in the Old Testament. So a way of saying all the people of God in the Old Testament are, are pictured there on that mountain. And then 12 stands for the 12 apostles. So one might say all the people who come to know Jesus uh, through the work of the 12 apostles and those who carry on their work uh, in the New Testament and past. And So one way it may be saying is all the people, old and new, times 10 to the third, which basically means completeness. So a lot of people interpret this and they see 144,000 not as a narrow number of people who are in heaven and it's limited to that. But rather, 144,000 means it's unlimited. All who follow God find themselves there. And that's a possibility. But another thing to consider is this. Is this really a picture of heaven when everything is said and done? Or is it, in the book of Revelation, sort of an interim picture? There's no question this is a picture of victory. Because there are people singing and worshiping. And as we mentioned a few weeks ago, when you find harps that's a reference to the worship of God that goes back to uh, 1 Chronicles. So obviously we have visited the winning team's locker room when we're in Revelation 14. But the question is, are we in the locker room visiting or is this uh, at the end of the season and everybody who's there is gathered? And There are a number of scholars that say that basically this 144,000, if you go all the way through verse 4, that talks about the fact that they have been offered to God and to the Lamb, we're talking about 144,000 who may be in the winning team's locker room, but the way they got there is they got killed. That actually this is not a picture of everyone in heaven. This is a picture showing the people of God in Asia Minor in the first century. This is what happens to those who die for Jesus. They end up with Jesus. They end up in victory. So it may not be some sort of final picture at all, but rather an interim shot that says those people who gave their lives for Jesus, those people that the Roman soldiers or whoever you believe the bad guys are, killed, they find themselves standing with Jesus on Mount Zion victorious. And so it may not even be sort of an end of everything sort of picture anyway. It gets even more murky when you find other passages in Revelation that indicate the people who are closest to Jesus, closest to the throne and the altar, are those who had their heads chopped off. And so if you want to take it literally, the 144,000 are people who had their heads chopped off for Jesus, and they're the only ones there. That looks a lot different, I would think, than the denominations or groups who believe that it's 144,000 or heaven in heaven, and they're the ones who are the, are the 144,000. Because this seems to indicate these were people who died following Jesus. They died for their faith. And then there's this, a very strange comment about this 144,000 on Mount Zion. He said, now these are the people who didn't defy themselves with women, These are the people who remained virgins. Now, if you want to be literal about this, any of you ever fathered and mothered a child, you're out. Is that really what the Bible is saying? Or is this another symbolic way of saying something else that's significant? Let's go the symbolic route. And I think one of the things that you note in the Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, is just this. That when you stray from God, the, uh, the, one, the one true God, and you are no longer faithful to God, one of the ways the Bible talks about it through the prophets in the Old Testament and uh, in the New Testament is it's a form of spiritual adultery. You're supposed to be married to God, and when you chase after other gods, you've become impure. So it's a metaphor that says these are the people that stayed faithful. They stayed faithful to God no matter what. It's interesting that in the book of Revelation, uh, the bad guys, the ones who want to claim to be God, the 666s, they want to be God, but they're not. They are called the great mother of all prostitutes. So the same sort of imagery plays in. We, as the church, are called the body of Christ. But anytime we want to follow somebody other than Jesus, we have, in a sense of revelation, defiled ourselves. But there's even more. And that's, if you um, think back to the Old Testament, it gets hinted at in Deuteronomy 20 and 23 and gets referred to in 1 Samuel 20 and 2 Samuel 11 during the days of David. But what what it's talking about or hinting at is this, that when God's people are in the army and they're fighting against evil, uh, whether it's uh, under Joshua or whether it's under David, one of the ways that they stayed focused and faithful in the midst of battle is that they were celibate on the eve or the the time where they might go into battle because they wanted their total focus not on wives or uh, not on other things. They wanted their total focus on what God had called them to do. Now, this is another way of saying what Paul would say to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. Let's wrap that up together for a minute, put a bow on it, and let me tell you that it looks like to me the 144,000 are the ones who fought for good against evil. They stayed faithful to Jesus and they lost their lives in the effort. And simply what John is saying is they, when losing their lives, they didn't find themselves further away from heaven, further away from Jesus They found themselves in their faithfulness closer to them. And this is what John says about them. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Now, question. Where did Jesus go? Where did the Lamb go? The answer for Revelation is found in the very first few chapters we already covered. And that is the first time you meet the Lamb, there's something interesting about him. He has been slain. Where did he go? He went to his death. Because he loved you, because he loved me, because he loved God, he went to his death. So where did the lamb go? He went to his death. These 144,000, because they loved God, because they loved others, they went to their death. But that's not the end of the story. He went to his death, and three days later, where did he go? He went to his life. To a life eternal, a life resurrected And these 144,000, if they follow him wherever he goes, where do they end up? They end up alive, resurrected, and living in victory. Now, I don't know about you, but I have not suffered that much for Jesus. And certainly no one's cut off my head. Some hair, maybe. Maybe. No one's nailed me to a tree. No one's threatened me with a sword. So where do I fit in this picture? Let me go back to the 144,000. They were offered as a first fruit to God and the Lamb. Now, if you get the Old Testament agricultural imagery, this is what happens. When you grow a crop in Israel, and the crop starts to come up, and and, and you're able to harvest, the very first of the harvest that comes in, you give to God. You give to God because if that's all that you get, then everything you have belongs to God. It's a way of saying, if this is all I come up with, it's all yours. But it's also a way of saying, I trust you. And I know that where this is, there's a lot more to come. And so our first fruit was always like a down payment, a guarantee. It said, there's this much now, but there's going to be a whole lot more Later. So the first fruits are the 144,000, or however many there were, who died for Jesus, rose again, and live with him. But if they're the first fruits, then where's the rest of the harvest? Look on the screen, the pictures, look at the candles, look around you in the pews. We the rest of the harvest. They have followed the lamb. they went where he went, and we who follow will go there also.